Good morning. You know, I was overwhelmed as we were <clears throat> taking communion, enjoying God's presence together. Just what a, what a privilege, what a blessing it is to be able to be a part of this faith community and to um, know so many of you and be, have the privilege of uh, being a pastor here. And let me tell you that, you know, there have been times when I haven't loved being a pastor. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that? There have been times when um, I wanted to not necessarily say take this job and love it. But, you know, it's, it's, there's times when it's not always fun. But, but through the course of the last 20 years, I mean, I've really learned that God, God privileges us to serve each other. And to be in relationship with each other in a community of faith and in what we call a church um, is just a privilege. And I just want to thank you for giving me that privilege to be a part of your lives. Well, we're in a series called Happy, 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 talking about your work. And uh, maybe you knew this already, but did you know that you're going to spend um, about 40% of your entire life with what you do and where you work? About 150,000 hours. For some of you, that is like a depressing thought. For others, you're pretty happy about that. Well, the Gallup organization, known for being uh, a, a really good pollster, they polled 25 million employees in 189 different countries. And what they found is 63% of workers are basically unhappy in what they do. 63%. That means that they're just kind of there, they're clocking some time, uh, but mentally or emotionally, they're kind of checked out. They're, they sleepwalk through their days. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. He says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's a guy having a bad day at work, Okay. When you dislike what you do, you can feel that way, that life is boring and meaningless and it's like just chasing after the wind. Do you feel like the man who said, I've been working all of my life, but somehow it feels longer? <laughs> now, is your work kind of a necessary nuisance, just something you do to pay the bills, you live for the weekend, just a job? Is it a curse or is it a calling? Well, the same writer of the book of Ecclesiastes said this. He said, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy it, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. I mean, bring it on, God, right? I want that gift for Christmas, that, that gift to be happy in my work. So... How can you do that? How can I find a greater sense of fulfillment and happiness in what we do? Because it's a gift that comes from God that we don't want to miss out on. Well, there are a lot of books written on the subject. Uh, you can go to any bookstore and find that. But I'm going to look at God's book, the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to draw a couple things out of there in the brief time we have this morning. I want to I give you three principles that come from the Word of God that can help us develop that kind of sense of enjoyment and happiness in what we do. And all of these that I'm going to mention are based in a relationship with God. I mean, when you answer the call that Jesus has on your life, we begin to discover 
how God has made us and what God wants us to do in this world. We kind of discover the purpose as to why he made us. And we understand our mission in life comes from our creator. Our calling vocationally comes by way of our calling spiritually. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Well, my own journey uh, in the workforce is kind of interesting. I went to college to uh, become a forest ranger because I loved backpacking. That was a natural connect, right? And so while I was up in the woods backpacking, spent uh, just almost every weekend in my high school years backpacking, and I met rangers, and they looked like they were having fun, and they looked like they had low stress, and they were away from people and problems, and so I thought, that's what I want to do. Went to NAU, a good forestry school in northern Arizona, and, and I was excited until I took my first class. And then I realized you actually had to be a smart person to be a forest ranger, and that slipped me totally because I just thought they were cruising around with their packs and living out in the woods and stuff. And I figured out, man, you got to know zoology and biology and physics, and, and, I'm, and I'm like, this is not for me. So I lasted about six months or maybe a year in that. And then I changed my major into business, and I thought, well, you know, business guys, how hard that, can that be? And, uh, <laughs> and so I studied that for a while and, uh, and thought that's what I wanted to do and uh, did that for a, for a while. But I transferred three different times to different colleges, lost credits in the process. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I ended up with this really amazing degree called a general studies degree. And uh, just kind of merged all of my zigzags through college into one degree. And it only took six years. That wasn't bad. So through this weird twist of events, I got a job with IBM in the computer field back in the mid-'80s. And I, and I hate computers. And so I'm thinking, why am I – how did God open this up? You know, I didn't, I didn't know how to operate them. I, didn't, I was afraid of them. I didn't like them. And that was the job that opened up. I mean, it was a miracle. Most, most people in a corporation like that don't hire people like me. And uh, so I knew it was God. <clears throat> so I did that for quite a while, several years. And yet God had something different for me over time. Any of you ever work in something that you got really pretty good at? And it made you decent money, but you didn't necessarily enjoy it? I mean, that's a pretty common experience, isn't it? Well, when I became a Christian, I started to ask different questions. Before I was a Christian, I asked questions like, how can I get out of college as fast as possible, make as much money as possible, and be in a career that I somewhat enjoy? That was, those were the basic questions. But after I became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, my questions began to change a little bit. I began to ask questions like, what does God want for me? What does God think? What does he how has he created me? How has he fearfully and wonderfully made me in a way that I can serve him in an area that I can add value and service to other people's lives? Different set of questions. So the first thing, the first thing that I think if we really want to enjoy what we do is you've got you to work in a field that uses your motivated abilities. Work in a job that uses your God-given talents. Find work that fits you, and by all means, bring it to God and ask God. Bring him into the equation and say, Lord, you lead my life forward. I don't want to chart out my own course, as this world says. Lord, you lead me and guide me through the purposes of your heart and mind. But we've got to consider, what is it that God has placed within us? 
Think about it when he went to build, when God went to build this temple through Moses, what did he do? Exodus 35 says he looked for people like this. He had filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers and all of them master craftsmen and designers. When God wanted a job done in the, in the way of his temple, he brought together some very skilled people in the, in the arts. John 17, 4 says this about Jesus. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That was Jesus' prayer back to God, saying, I've I've done what you called me to do. Could it be that God has a calling on each one of our lives? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God prepared good works for you to walk in. He designed and equipped you for a purpose. He wired you with certain motivated abilities of personality and skill sets that he wants you to develop and deploy in the use of his service. So what are those motivated abilities? Well, they're the gifts and the talents that God has called you to do. Your contribution that you can make. Every person is a unique blend of personality, experience, abilities, and talents, gifts, passions, and desires. Every person is unique. And that uniqueness can show up very early in life. A 15-year-old boy by the name of Chuck used to sneak into the local hospital, don a white lab coat, and pretend that he was a medical student so he could watch surgeries. Then he would watch for stray animals in his neighborhood give them a little ether, practice some exploratory surgery, being careful to always sew them up before he let them go. Chuck grew up to become Dr. C. Everett Koop, the famous former U.S. Surgeon General. His motivated abilities surfaced very early in life, you know. God has created and crafted you uniquely as an individual. And what do you, how do you want your life to line up? Line it up with those areas that God has put within you. Motivated abilities. It includes your personality, those talents, those gifts, those interests. Find work also, though, that fits your values. See, if it's accomplishing something important, something that you value, something that God has placed within you as kind of a, a passion, a desire, and we all have them. We all do. Everybody has something that you care deeply about, a cause, something that turns your crank, something that gets you excited. And if you could change anything in the world, what would it be? I mean, your values are so important to your job satisfaction, finding your calling. God has things for you to do that you are uniquely wired and equipped and gifted to do. And, uh, the, and it's important that they line up with the area of passion, That God has placed within you. Now, here's one catch to this, though. Can I give you the catch? Following kind of that area that God may lead you into that really links with your values and your passion and that cause may lead you to become maybe a brain surgeon where you make millions of dollars, but it also may lead you to become a stay-at-home mom where you have a very small paycheck. It It might lead you to invent something that goes international where you make a lot of money, it might lead you to be a struggling artist. See, we all need money. I get that. We all need money to pay the bills, right? 
But I can't tell you how many Christians that I've interacted with that kind of got, got handcuffed with the golden handcuffs because they were kind of making the almighty dollar more important than following after the area that God had given them as unique motivated abilities and passions in their heart. You know, I'm not talking about a job that you do that you dislike for a year or two. I know people who have worked in jobs they disliked for 20 and 30 years because it paid so well they never thought they could get out of it. That, to me, friend, is sad. I mean, spending your whole life, your whole career at something you don't feel that that you were called to do, that you're not gifted at, you do not enjoy, but you're doing it because the paycheck is really sweet. I have a friend who works for Microsoft, and uh, he's been in this soul-searching thing for the last five years or so, maybe ten years, and uh, he's approaching retirement. He's about ten years away from retirement, and, and one of the things, it's a bold move, he's decided that he doesn't want to just sit it out and wait for that to happen. He's going back to college. He's studying history because he's always had it in his heart to be a history teacher, and so that's what he's going to do if God opens up those doors for him. Don't let the golden handcuffs be placed on you that trump God's purposes and call for your life. Find work that fits you. Strength Finders 2.0 is a resource. You can get it off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, It'll help you discover your strengths. There's an online assessment you can take. Um, And then Uniquely You is a class we offer. Both good ways to kind of begin that process of discovering more and more of who you are. All right, the second thing is this. Work at building healthy relationships. Some people are working on a job that uses their individual kind of motivated abilities. They enjoy their work, um, but they don't enjoy the relationships of the people around them. And some of you are right in the room, right? I have a friend who had a perfect job, fit him like a T, but he had a boss that was coming like he was from a whole different planet. They didn't have any personal chemistry, and yet this particular job needed a high degree of personal chemistry. He was unhappy. Every single day he went to work, he just dread. not he didn't dread the work, he dreaded being around some of the people, specifically his boss. So what did he do? He finally got a different job, a new boss, and guess what? He absolutely loves it. How many of you have jobs that you, you like, but you don't maybe like the people that you're working with? You know, that guy that just bugs the fire out of you, who always just wants to one-up you. Um, here's a good example of a couple, guy, a couple guys I know. Not too much has changed around here in the past couple of years. Um, companies still using Windward reports. Prank Wars still on. <laughs> you suck. Brent's absolutely right. Everything here is exactly the same. Except for that one time that I was promoted and he wasn't, and now I'm his boss. <laughs> Shut up. And being the boss means I get to prank Brent at will if I so choose. And I do so choose. Hey, Brent. I believe that's your phone ringing. Cool. Yeah, maybe you should go answer it before it goes to voicemail. Or you're fired. Really? Yeah. No. Ow. Whatever, now that Dirk's my boss, it's so much easier to prank him. Like last week, they gave him the shipping code. Yeah, that's great, but out of curiosity, why are you using such a big box for shipping? 
Sleep. What? Sleep. Sleep. Turns out mailing somebody to Cleveland costs more than you think. Joke's on dirt. Yeah? Well, let me tell you what the real joke is. Brent's World of Warcraft skills. That's the real joke. <laughs> I mean, one time you roll a shadow priest without specking for darkness or improved mind blast, and you just never hear the end of it. He's crying, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I got the KO, though. Um, it's incredible what you can accomplish with a little bit of glue and a razor blade. Well, after all the sexual harassment seminars, they uh, decided to demote me back to Brent's level. My uh, girlfriend of eight years left me. I lost 30000 a year. My life is in shambles right now. But don't worry about me, because I've got one last awesome prank up my sleeve. Hey, Dirk. <laughs> Dirk penis pants. And he just stole my awesome prank. <sighs> Maybe you know a couple people like that at your work. You know, you like the work, but the, kind of, the people drive you crazy. Bad relationships. Bad relationships are a major cause of job dissatisfaction. So what do you do? Well, here again, the Bible has a lot to say. In some cases, you have to do what my friend did, and that is fine. Another job with com compatible, not combatible, em employees and, and uh, workers, co-workers, I once had a job selling insurance, and this is, was a weird job because it only lasted a little while because I didn't last, and we would have to go door to door and collect the premiums from people because they were really low-income people, and the only way they could pay the premium is if you went to their house and knocked on the door and collected it in person. I hated that job. But what made it worse is that I rode around all day long with this guy who was my boss. He was belligerent. He smelled like sick B.O. and lied to people in order to make sales. Well, God got my attention through that. Say, you know, I'm not going to be interested in this particular field and working with that particular type of person. God used that difficult relationship to get my attention, to get me praying and get me thinking about maybe he has something else for me. Now, before too many of you go and put your notice in on Monday morning, <laughs> could I just kind of slow that process down a little bit and say that when you get to your next place, you might find people even worse. So we need to understand difficult people are everywhere, even in the mirror. I mean, think about it. God intentionally puts people around us who will irritate us and become like heavenly sandpaper. Why? Why does he do that? Because it's easy to love people are just like you. It's easy to love people who are lovable. It's difficult to love people who are very difficult people, people who are irritants. But he puts those people around us. Romans 12, 18 says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Aren't you glad that it just says, if it's possible? Because we all know there are times when it's not possible. No matter what you do, that person is going to be cranky and grumpy and gripey, controlling and demanding and demeaning. No matter what, you can't change them. But you can influence them. You can. 
You can influence people and you can influence your environment. People, first of all, first of all, one of the things that we need to just kind of do a quick check on is our performance at work. That working hard, doing a great job, making it our goal to be the best that we can possibly be on the job is one of the ways that we build a platform of respect in which people will take you serious. You can't change people, but you can influence them and you can influence the environment that you work through with prayer and through behaviors that you model. The way you respond to difficult people has a lot to do with forming and maintaining these kind of healthy relationships. Now, that means we got to get really good at conflict resolution. And as Christians, we should lead the way on what a healthy relationship looks like. There are so many conflicts that happen within a workplace, within any given team, that if we don't know how to, how to solve those conflicts and model that behavior and initiate it ourselves, then we are going to be dealing with incredibly dysfunctional teams and relationships all the time. So how do you do that? Well, the Bible has great advice about resolving conflicts. It's found in both Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18. And uh, it's two sides of a coin. Jesus said this, if you're offering a gift to God, he said this in Matthew 5, and remember that someone has something against you. He said, leave your gift on the altar. First, go and be reconciled. In other words, if you've done something wrong, something to hurt or offend or disappoint somebody, why not go and get it right? Just go and make that a priority. Make that your priority. Apologize. Admit your error. Make restitution. Do what you've got to do to be reconciled. One popular way that we use a lot today in the workforce is my bad. Have you ever used that? My bad. You know, and it's, I think it works on really small things, you know, kind of admitting it in a moment. But one of the downsides to my bad is it doesn't really open up any dialogue, does it? It doesn't really open up a conversation. It's more like, eh, my bad, boom, back to whatever I was doing. And, uh, and, and so why not actually carry out what, what the advice of the Scripture is, which is to go sit down with that person, you and that person, and say, hey, man, I blew it. I apologize. I'm sorry. And I'm going to work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's hard, isn't it? It's humbling. We don't want to come across weak. We don't want to have to take the fall for something. We... We'd rather it just not be noticed or whatever. And as we go and we get things right with people and we humble ourselves and we model that type of conflict resolution, you'd be amazed at how that builds respect and it's actually modeling how others might begin to behave as well. In Matthew 18, Jesus flips it around. He says, if your brother sinned against you, go to him in private, explain his fault, offer forgiveness that you may win him back. In other words, if your coworker has done something that really offended you, hurt you, disappointed you, let them know. Not, just don't go rail on them and don't go around them to their boss before you ever went and talked to them. Go to them. Go to them and try and get it right. Sit them down and explain it. And, and try and be healthy and functional and not like fly off the handle or just start you know, uncontrollably weeping. But try and, try and model that type of conflict resolution 
being the healthy one, being the one that rises to the occasion, being the one that initiates. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Also, let me just say, don't underestimate the power of prayer. I've been in environments before. I worked at one place called Computerland that I worked for several years before we went on the mission field. And it was a, when I first got there, I mean, it was a, I liked the work. But the environment was so difficult. There were some old guard people there that just made it a really un- unenjoyable place to ever show up to. And I remember complaining all of the time to Tisa, and then she finally said, go talk to God. And so then I would talk to God, and he finally said, when are you going to quit complaining? And, and I said, what do you mean I'm praying? He said, no, those are complaints, just constant, incessant complaints. And, and so the Holy Spirit said, why don't you do something about it? Begin to pray for your environment. Pray for that business. Pray for those people. And, and so God laid it on my heart to just go in in the early morning, like work is at 8, go in at 6.30, and just pray over the place. And I, I thought, okay, I'll do that for a week. And I went in, I began to pray. And, and you know, the, the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so I begin to just pray, Lord, let your kingdom, your, your, the way you see things, the way you do things, let your spirit just pervade this place. And I begin to just pray for God's will and his, his blessing over the business and the people. Nothing happened in a week. I have no great story for you. But God said, keep, keep coming in. Keep doing it. So week after week after week, I just came in. And, you know, if nothing ever changed, it changed me, first of all. But... After about two months, uh, another coworker noticed that I was coming in early, and he wasn't sure why, and he wondered if I was trying to get brownie points or something. And we sat and we talked, and I told him what I was doing, and it turns out he was a backslidden Christian. And he said, man, I, I need to do that. So he started to come up. So we were joint, get up there around 6.30, quarter to 7, and we would just pray over the place. We would pray over our bosses and pray over the prophets and pray over our clients and pray over um, just ev- the environment that it would become a more godly place to work. And guess what? After a couple years, it actually was. It was an amazing place to work. Because in that few-year time frame, some staffing changes happened, some things took place, and uh, some new decisions were made, and the, the environment became a really healthy and productive environment to work in. The power of prayer. Don't underestimate it. All right, the last thing is this. Work at developing the right attitude. Your motivated abilities, your relationships, but thirdly, your attitude. Work at developing the right kind of attitude. That means that we've got to develop a Christian theology of work. We have to start with the scripture and realize that work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. Work is actually a calling. Work is something where we can reflect God's glory in the earth. Work is something that we can add value. Work is something that we partner with God around. Perspective is everything. To a worm, digging in the hard ground is more relaxing than going fishing. I mean, (laughs) think about it. It's all where you're coming from. (laughs) Learning to see how your job accomplishes something that God wants done in the world. I mean, it can transform the way you feel about what you do as you look at your work differently. Work can actually become worship, a way in which we serve Jesus. Listen to this in Colossians 3. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that was written to slaves who were forced to do some of the most menial tasks. They were never asked about their motivated abilities. How can we see you do more of the things you're passionate about? Nope. They were just written off. And they had to endure a lot of hardship in what they did and in their working conditions. And yet Paul said, look, do it with all of your heart for the Lord, not for men. You're not serving your boss. You're first serving Christ. And then secondly, your employer. A classic in Christian literature is the practice of the presence of God. Some of you may have read it by Brother Lawrence, a lay brother in the Carmelite monastery in France in the 17th century. And Brother Lawrence worked in a kitchen, and he prepared the meals for his fellow brothers and monks. And he understood that work was worship. We first find him worshiping more often in the kitchen than in the cathedral. And here's what he would pray. He would pray, Lord, of all the pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. He was able to take the most commonplace task and kind of turn it back to an act of worship unto God. I know we can do that as well. I mean, it sounds impossible, but it's not. The slaves in the early, um, in the early church, um, they, were, they were in that. And, and some of you, some of, some of us feel like we're kind of like slaves, doing menial tasks for employers that we don't really enjoy, doing something we don't feel called to do. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, Nevertheless, each one, talking about us as Christians, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in a situation where he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Now, I understand this is a complex passage that deserves more time. But I want you to notice one thing. Paul tells these Christians that they don't have to be in a hurry to change the positions that they find themselves in. You don't have to run out and change it. It starts with an attitude of heart, changing who we're working for and changing why we're doing it. Perspective changes everything. One last thing. For some of you who want different work, I've discovered that God usually won't let me go to do the next thing until I'm doing the first thing right. If you aren't working with all of your heart as unto the Lord, adjusting your attitude, making those choices to love those difficult people around you, the chances are that you can exit yourself, but you'll probably do it without God's blessing. Probably. It's not a rule, but I've seen it happen over and over again. We try and escape our problems and escape Maybe the difficulties that God brings our way or allows to hit our life. And instead of praying through those and really adjusting our attitude and perspective and walking through the difficulty of it, 
and we try to change out our hand of cards, we find ourselves kind of going around the mulberry bush all over again. Don't, don't do that. Don't just try and fix your life. Let God give you the endurance and the patience. Let God lead and guide you. And then do it with all of your heart. Let's pray. Jesus said, if, uh, if you want to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? In other words, trying to make our own happiness happen is a dead-end street. But when we give up that, trying to make it happen, and we begin to just turn our life over to God and turn our life over to His service, just say, Lord, it's no longer about me trying to attain my own happiness. It's about You, God. I just want to live for you and live for your glory and do what you've called me to do and walk out the purpose that you have for me. Lord, would you help each one of us recognize that and each one of us to say yes to you in our heart. We want to lay our lives down so that we might find them. Maybe you're here this morning and for you, you just need the courage and the faith to make a change, to begin towards a change that might mean retooling, re-educating, taking a pay cut. It may mean any number of things, and it's just going to take a lot of courage and a lot of faith. Would you lay hold of that this morning and just say, Lord, would you place that in me, courage and faith and clarity of what I need to do next? Lord, I want that. I need that, and I'm laying hold of that right now. And others of us right here, there might be some that are stuck, stuck in something that's paying you really well, but you don't enjoy it. You don't like it. You find yourself in those golden handcuffs. And I want to encourage you, would you just bring your prayer to God as well and just say, Lord, set me free from the love of money. Set me free from the fear of failure. Set me free, God, so that I can serve you with whatever amount of breaths I have left, whatever amount of years you might grant me. Lord, I want to serve you with a whole heart doing the things that you've called me to do and the things that you've placed in me as a passion. Finally, Lord, I know that there are some that you just really want. You want them to be a conduit of blessing in their workplace, the one who will rise up and model healthy relationships and the one who will rise up and begin to pray over the environment for it to change and to be steadfast until it does. Lord, use us, would you please, as missionaries in the marketplace. Use us, God, as difference makers. Use us as those Elijahs who will call on heaven for things to happen and that over time things will happen because your kingdom comes and your will is being done where we work. Let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, the-